Well, today we're going to start a brand new message series. We talked about it. You uh, anticipated it for a while. And I want to start with a story. So this happened about 30 years ago in college. There was a, a young man, a college-age man, and he, uh, he has a story, a dramatic kind of change of life, a recent convert to Christianity. And because of who he was and what he was like before, it threw everybody off guard. They didn't know what was happening anymore. So that sudden shift meant that people didn't know how to relate to him in the same way. And so he was part of the tennis team, and his teammates were like, wait a minute, like, you used to be a party guy, and now you're not really a party guy, and we don't know what happened, what's going on, I don't understand this. And he was, he was trying to live in a way that they would understand that a major change had happened in his life, but it wasn't connecting the way that he hoped, and they were confused, they didn't know what was going on. So one day, they're at a tennis match. And they had a break between matches, and so they go to explore the rather large facility where they were. And as they go around, they find a track and field area where they do a number of different events, and they were drawn to the high jump area, because the high jump area is fun. And so they all started trying to do high jump. They put the, the, the pole up, and they were jumping over on the mat, and honestly, they weren't very good. Uh, they were pathetic. And in tennis players, high jump, you know, it doesn't work well together. The bar was only set at about three and a half to four feet, but they were just running straight into it. They were crashing into it, couldn't do it. And they kept saying to this other guy, hey, why don't you try? Why don't you try? And he kept saying, oh, no, I don't want to. What about the game? And um, this is not really my thing. It's too high for me. I can't do this. So they do it for a while. And like most things, we kind of run out of steam. And that's where they were. They were losing momentum. And at that point, he steps up, and he just picks the bar up, and he raises it from four feet to six feet, which was above his head. And they look, and they go, what are you going to do? And he says, do you think I can do this jump? And they look at him, and they look at the bar. They remember what they've just done, and they go, blankety, blank, bleep, bleep, not a chance, right? No way. There's no way you can do this. And he says, well, how about we do this? We'll all get in a circle and we'll pray. We'll pray to my God and we'll ask him to do a miracle. And the miracle will be me jumping over this six-foot pole. And if I do it, well, then you have to become a Christian and you got to come with me to church. And they all say, well, blankety bleep bleep, sure, we can do that. that sounds great. It's going to be fun. Let's do it. And they didn't really think that it was going to happen, but they also didn't know this guy used to be a high jumper. And so uh, they get together. He pulls them all into the circle, and he starts to pray. And so um, he's heard at a message somewhere that if you put a Bible verse into a prayer, it tops up the power of your prayer, right? It's that much better. And so he starts to pray, and he quotes a verse in there. So he says, God, you said in your word that if I ask for anything in your name, you'll hear my prayer, and you'll do it. So... In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would help me to clear six feet so all of my teammates would know you and they would all come to church with me. <laughs> They're laughing, right? <laughs> Whatever, okay. So he lines himself up and he gets ready and he starts the approach and he goes and he gets some good air. He gets up there and they, they see that he's going up and he's thinking to himself, you know what? This is no problem. 80, 85% of the time I can clear six feet. My peak is actually significantly above that. So this is not a big deal. I haven't been doing it recently, but this shouldn't be too big of a deal for me. Um, and so 
as he goes, they see that he's got a way better ark than they ever did. He's got form like they didn't have. And so as he's in the air, once again, it's blankety blank bleep bleep. He might actually do it. And they're looking at that. And he gets up and his back goes over. And he sucks his bum up at the right moment. And it goes over. And all he has to do now is kick his feet. You just kick your feet at the very end and you get over. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to time it right, but he's out of practice. So he misses the timing just a touch. And so he clips the bar. It doesn't fall. He just clips it. And it's wobbling there. And as he falls back into the mat, he can look up and he sees that bar in front of him wobbling. He goes, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. It fell. All because of a mistimed foot kick he now lives with the weight that all of his friends are going straight to hell. <laughs> he was devastated. God, I can do this one without you almost every day. I had a great reason for this to happen. I used a Bible verse. Why don't you answer my prayer? Today, Today, we're going to look at the words from the high jump prayer. John 14, 13, 14. And honestly, this is one of the most misused, misquoted verses in the Bible. And here it is. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for what? Are you ready? You see what it says there? You may ask me for anything. In my name, and I will do it. So, if you pray in faith and in the name of Jesus to get the job, you get the job, right? You get the girl. You win the lottery. That's the way it works, right? That's what it says. If you ask for anything in my name. I'm pretty sure if you were to look up in your Bible, you'd find that that is even in red letters in many Bibles. Jesus said it, I'm claiming it, it must come true just like that. Well, that's the way I believed when I first started to get serious about reading the Bible. I want to be a man of faith. I want faith, and I just have to take it. And then I met a really sweet lady from my friend's church, and she got treatable cancer. Treatable cancer. Could have been cured by the doctors. And all these people in her church said they were going to stand on that verse. And I don't actually know what it means to stand on a verse, but Christians say stuff like that sometimes. You know, I'm going to stand on the verse. And so they said that they were claiming that verse for her. We have named it. We have claimed it. We are claiming in Jesus' name that we believe that she is to be healed, and so Jesus has to heal her, right? But she refused treatment. And she tragically died. Treatable, curable cancer. She refused treatment, believing with faith in Jesus, with faith in his name, faith in the holy written word of God that she would be healed. Based on that story, we can say, so, obviously, this verse doesn't work. Obviously, Jesus was deceiving us. Obviously, Jesus has no power. Obviously, Jesus is not good. 
obviously this verse just isn't true. Or perhaps we're twisted in our understanding or in our application of what Jesus was saying. So today, I want to help you get a new way to translate. We're going to learn to translate Scripture or to interpret Scripture so that we can have something to help us out when we get into situations like this. So three quick tools that we're going to, um, we're going to have, and you'll be able to use these on this passage, but on any passage that you look at. So the first one is we understand the context. We talk about context here a lot. We don't have time to always read the whole thing. So that's why we give you notes. That's why we tell you where the stuff is so you can go at another time and read it in context. So we don't want to know just what the verse says. We want to know what's coming before the verse. We want to know what's after the verse. Who wrote the verse? To whom was it written? What's the major theme? What's God trying to say through this author? We understand the context. And that sounds like it's pretty daunting up front. You say, well, I just was reading. I don't want to go to Bible school every time I have to read the Bible. It's not that complicated. It's easy. So we're going to walk through this one a little bit. So we don't just pull a verse out. And let's be honest, most of us have done that at some time, okay? I've done this. It doesn't make you a heretic. It doesn't mean that you need to be burned at the stake. It just means that we're learning how to understand Scripture. We have a further opportunity to learn and practice humility. We want to embrace the context of the Scripture. The second thing we want to do is we want to interpret Scripture with other Scriptures. That's really important. The best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible, okay? So we don't take one verse and build a life theology around one verse, we're going to take a verse and we're going to look at other verses in the Bible of a similar theme would say. And we're going to build our theology over the consistency of many different authors writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So we do this at Into One, right? We have an Into One verse. Does anyone know what our verse is? It's over the door on the way out. It's probably in the program that you've got there. It's John 17, 23. And we didn't just say magic verse. Makes a church. Boom, just like that. John 7, 20, 17, 23 is a great summary of John chapter 17. Just condensed down into a short spot. But you know what? John 17 is not the only place that you would find that theme. The themes that we talk about there are throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and it appears in many, many places. So while we would say John 17, 23 is a verse that we focus on and highlight, it's not the only place that something like that comes from. Most importantly, number three, you have to apply what we learn. Christians all the time stop before we get to this place. We apply generously, creatively for somebody else, right? You need to know this. We have to apply to ourselves. This is something that we're supposed to live. So the Bible is not so much a text to be studied as much as it is God's letter to us to be lived. This is the Word of God pointing us to the Word of God, Jesus. 
We need to apply it to our lives. So that's why what we want to do today. We're going to look at John 14 and the infamous high jump prayer. You can have whatever you ask for in my name. So we're going to look at the context. We're going to interpret the Bible with the Bible, and then we're going to learn to apply it, okay? So context. Who do you think wrote the book of John? John. Yeah, there you go. It's very, you're doing very well, and you said you weren't scholars. No, it's not a trick question, okay? That's the way it is. This one's a little bit harder. What is the main theme of the book of John? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands because you're all going to, you know, I don't know. The main theme of the book of John is John trying to prove and display that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the main theme. It comes up all the time. You go back and you're going to read it now. It's going to be crystal clear. Like John 1.1, when he starts out the book, he says, In the beginning, the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I sort of compressed that verse. Um, that's the first place. The Word is God. So Jesus is God. Then John 1.14, you drop down a little bit. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He starts off right at the beginning trying to say, this is what I'm telling you about, okay? This is where we're going. So John was writing to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Next thing, what's the context of John 14? Well, we've looked at one verse, okay? So that's not enough to understand what he's talking about. Chapters and verses, they're not divine. They were study tools that were added by monks to help us be able to break things down. And quite often, they have broken things up into themes, into groups to make it easier for us. John 14 starts out and Jesus says stuff like, do not be afraid. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my house, there are many mansions, there are many rooms, which will be for you. Do not worry. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. When I go away, I've got really good news. It's only going to get better for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will dwell within you. Even though I'm going away, don't worry. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's John 14. Thematically, Jesus is talking not about prayer. He's talking about preparations that he's making for you. So the context of John, John's trying to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. The big theme of John 14 is that Jesus is preparing the future for us. It's not really about prayer. So, with that understanding, let's go back and reread a portion of that verse. And this time, let's do it from the perspective of not making ourselves the main character in the text. But let's remember and respect who is always the main character in the text. And who is that? Jesus. God specifically. So throughout the whole Bible, the main character is always God. That's who you're looking for. It's God. It's not us. North Americans, boy, we have a, we have a giant magnet on us that kind of makes us think that I know that they were living, I mean, there's thousands of years and millions and millions of people, but it was for me. It's just about me. And that's not the way it's written. It might also apply to you, but it wasn't written directly at you. Okay? The main character is always God. 
So with that context, John 14, 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name. And then what? So that, right? That's a really important part. So that, what's the purpose? What's he gonna do with this? Why, why, why? So I can get what I want? So I can get rich? So I can make God do stuff for me and then trap him in his words and say, you've got to. You said that you would. No, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you see what happened? The reason that God answers prayers is not so that our life would be better. It's not so that we would make more money. It's not so that you could have the kitchen you've always dreamed of. We need to recognize that. The reason God answers prayer is so that the Father may be glorified in heaven. When we read this, not seeing ourselves as the main character, the main subject of the Bible, but seeing God as the main subject of the Bible, we recognize that there's a much different purpose for our prayers than many of us often realize. So why are we going to deal with this today? Why are we talking about this? Why is this a big deal? Well, I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because as a pastor, perhaps the number one reason that I see people walk away from God, walk away from faith, they say, I prayed for it. I believed it. He didn't do it. Therefore, he isn't real. Therefore, he doesn't care. Or, therefore, he's not good. Over and over and over again, I've seen people walk away from faith because this is the equation in their mind. Pray equals get. And when you have that, you are mistaken from the very beginning. So that was a little bit of the context. Now we're going to take a moment to try and uh, translate Scripture with Scripture, okay? So what does the Bible say? What does God care about when we pray? So we're going to look at four things that God cares about when we pray. First, your relationships matter. Your relationships matter to God. He is all about relationships. Everything he does is done relationally. It's a huge deal. Jesus said in Mark 11, "Uh, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whoa, thanks. Great verse. Amazing. Next verse. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what are you supposed to do? What's your part in this? Say it out loud. What are you supposed to do? You are to forgive them. Oh, shoot. That interferes with my lifestyle. That cramps my style big time. Why? Why do we have to do that? So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Should have stopped at verse 24. A lot happier. So when you're praying and you're ticked at somebody, you know that they're... Deal with that relationship before you keep on praying because your relationships matter to God. So it's a little bit like this. You say, God, I want a pony. I want a pony. I want a pony in Jesus' name. I name it and I claim it and I hate my brother. (laughs) Sorry, no pony, right? No pony with that attitude because your relationship with your brother matters. (laughs) Parents, you know this is true. You know what it's like, right? You're at home and you're not even in the same room and you you can hear this around you. He hit me. 
I hate her. She's touching me. She came in my room. Can I have a friend over? And you say, no friend over until you have a right relationship with your brothers and sisters. You don't get what you're asked for when things are going wrong. So more family stuff, more invasive, intrusive, finger-pointing. Husbands. Yeah, there was a big amen. Husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. So that. Right? There it is again. So that what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Oh, how could I apply that? If I'm being a jerk to Cheryl, or when I'm being a jerk to Cheryl, what might this do? This might actually hinder my prayers. There's something that matters to God. Your relationships matter to God. Next thing is, your motives matter to God. And we go here, James, the brother of Jesus. Again, it's always so interesting. This guy, James, the brother of Jesus, believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and he lived with them for years. Incredible story. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Hey, this was super common in the day of Jesus, and he would point this out all the time. The Pharisees had wrong motives, and Jesus would highlight them and say, wrong motives, Okay? This is common in our day also, and for many of the very same reasons. We have bad motives. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to seem spiritual. So they'd stand on the edge of street corners, and they'd pray fancy prayers. Dear God, Father in heaven, I thank you, O great King of the universe, that I am not like the Gentiles or the people who sit in the back row of churches. And I am holy, and I pray long, eloquent prayers. And God is listening. And it's not surprising that he says, you know what? That's the wrong motive. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite when you do that. You are pulling yourself intentionally away from the heart of God right at the moment you're supposed to be surrendering and submitting yourself to the heart of God. In that moment, you're doing the exact opposite of what's supposed to be happening. And we're all susceptible to this. I was, I know. I went to Bible school, and there I thought the goal was to pray impressive prayers. And why put one verse in when you can put in five, right? I tried to impress the people around me. Maybe, maybe I even tried to impress God. Although I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure I was more concerned with the people around me when I was praying, at least for a while. But imagine... This is a good one for Bible college to imagine. Imagine that you wanted a Christian girl, but not just a regular Christian girl, okay? You wanted a smoking hot Christian girl or, or an extra hunky Christian man, okay? Um, when you can't find one, you just pick a smoking hot wild girl and start praying that she gets saved. Oh, you're so spiritual. And you'd pray, oh God, for your glory, please change Bambi's heart and life and then send her to me because I'm right here waiting to scoop that up. Good prayer. Save her, Jesus. Save her. Sounds right. Wrong motives. 
Your motives matter when you pray. Solomon, he exposed us all when he wrote this in Proverbs. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but the motives are weighed by the Lord. That first part, oh man, that's convicting. I don't know if it hits you, but all of a person's ways seem pure to them. Somehow we're surprised that when we pray to God, that he actually listens. He listens to what we pray, and he might not appreciate the motivations behind what we're doing. The prayer is not so powerful as the God that we pray to. And there are things that matter to God when you pray. Your relationships matter, your motives matter, but your faith matters. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Your faith moves the heart of God. Your faith matters to God, but it's not so much about a quantity or a compression, a strength, um, the right number of faith. He wants a trust relationship with you. So you don't faith hard. He wants you to trust him. So he's longing for that relationship, the reciprocal back and forth. I help you trust. We're always working in partnership with God. Sometimes we use the word faith to be like a club. I've, I've faithed it hard enough, so my faith is good. But it's the trust. That's what the relationship is about. A simple, gentle trust. Do you remember when Jesus talked about childlike faith? Faith like a child. And some of you, you've had a young child around, or you've had a grandchild around, and you've seen it live and in action. In ultra-high definition, you saw them trust in Jesus. And it's something beautiful to watch, and it's something entirely confusing for adults to be involved in. Um, but something powerful happens when you see childlike faith being expressed. I saw this happen, and more than once, but I saw this happen uh, one time, certainly with my, my son Merlin. Um, at, it was the end of June one year, and it's right about his birthday time. It's quite a few years ago now. We gave him a new bike for his birthday, and oh, he was excited! Right? He was so ready to go, very excited. I got to ride it, I got to ride it, I got to ride it right now, right now. Let's go right now. And so he was outside before I had my shoes on. Let's go, let's go, let's go, Dad. We got to go, we got to go. And so we got out, and we lived very close to a school, so there was a park right there. And we were, I was walking, and he was, Dad, I'm going. I go, okay, go a little bit ahead. And then I come around the corner, and I'm walking, and I see him going along a pathway. And he hits a patch of sand, and he wipes out. And I go, ooh, I'm going to hear about this one. And he goes down, and his leg is bleeding. It's not scratched. It's bleeding. And um, I come over to him. I can hear him screaming. Everyone in the park can hear him screaming. And he's saying, oh, it's a bad bike. The bike is bad. I'm never going to ride a bike again. Oh, my leg, it hurts. Just get rid of it. It's terrible. And He's distraught. His leg is bleeding. I'm walking the bike home holding it. He's walking ahead of me. And I can see, like I can hear him crying. And then I watched. It was the weirdest thing. I watched him put his hands together as he's walking. 
because this is very spiritual. If you didn't know that, it's like, oh, God, you're right there. Um, God, cry, cry, cry. Cry, God, help me fix this situation. I'm scared and I'm hurt. Something like that. I don't have the words down because I was probably blubbering myself watching it, right? Oh, my God, my son. Um, so by the time we get home, it's only like a three, five-minute walk, and already his attitude is changing, and his hope is returning. The bike's not bad, is it, Dad? Um, and and, and he's, his, his leg, it, well, it doesn't hurt nearly like it used to. And I ask him, are you feeling okay? You feeling better? And he goes, yes, because I prayed, and Jesus is helping me now. And some of us, we get so educated that we can start telling people what God is not going to do, right? And God can't do that. And you know why? Because here's 3,000 reasons why God's not going to do that. We have no idea anymore what it is to have simple, childlike faith. God does what he does, and the reality is I cannot explain to you why. It's a mystery, but the reality is still that the Bible says that all things are possible through him. So when two blind men come to Jesus, and they say, have mercy on us, Jesus, he did. Matthew 9, he touched their eyes and said, according to your what? According to your what? According to your faith, let it be done unto you. And their sight was restored. Your faith matters to God. So today, if you're taking really good notes, and I know that you all are, you're writing down everything here, here's what you can conclude right now. If my relationships are good, and my motives are pure, and if I can just get enough faith, then God has got to do whatever I ask him to do. Now, now when we believe that, which is not uncommon, we slip into what's known as the prosperity gospel. Name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. See it, be it. I want that car in Jesus' name. That car is mine. I'm confessing it's going to be mine. I'm not employed. I don't like to work, but that car is going to be mine. Bless God. I'm, it's coming to me now. We're winning the lottery in Jesus' name. That single girl who just walked into the church, I claimed her. I claimed her before you, Bert. She's mine. She's mine in Jesus' name. She's mine. I named it. I claimed it. I blabbed it. I grabbed it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to be it if I have just enough faith. It's got to be done. If I only say good things, in other words, what you're saying is, it's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me and my faith. I'm resting this whole thing on me. And this same kind of thinking comes up with all kinds of different things. It comes up a lot with healing. It comes up with jobs. It comes up with getting pregnant, getting promotions, making the, ma- the bad people go away. It comes up in all kinds of places that we pray that our will would be done, and then we send Jesus on a mission to bring it about. And if we start to really feel strongly about what Jesus should be doing, and we want to motivate Jesus, we're going to give a little bit of money to the church. 
right? Here you go, Jesus. Here's a little motivation for you. Here's a little tip up front. Just know that you've got a good commission on what's going to happen. Now, go do what I want. And what I'm doing right now, honestly, is I'm probably making a number of you very uncomfortable um, because I know that some of you are raised with this kind of mindset. And you're about to write this whole thing off. Lock the door. Uh, <laughs> hang with me, okay? Because I want, this is serious stuff. This matters a lot in how we're going to live and how we're going to be able to respond to God. And that prison of, if I just have enough faith, if I just have pure enough motives, if I do this, God's got to. He's my magic genie. I put the money in and I push the button. I'm entitled to get what I ordered. Fourth thing, God's will matters. His will, his sovereign nature, his goodness, his character, his eternal plan, God's will matters. John, okay, John, the very same John who wrote, uh, if you ask for anything in my name, right? Same John who was writing again in 1 John. It says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will. There you go again. That's almost as bad as the if you forgive somebody, right? <sighs> according to his will, according to his will, you got to say it again and say it again like Lion King, right? Uh, what did they say there? It was like, Mufasa, Mufasa. You say it again, say it again, according to his will. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have. When we ask of him, if we ask it according to his will. John needed some grammatical help. Tricky to read. But we cannot ask him for whatever we want and then demand that he does it for us. That makes us God, not him. It's not according to our will, it's according to his will. And if we understand that, then suddenly, when we go back to John 14, 14, maybe it's going to make a little bit more sense if we read it again. Jesus said, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. In my name. In other words, if we're going to the Father and we're asking in the name of Jesus, we need to do something according to the will of God, right? That's where how it fits in. Or if we don't ask for something that's according to the will of God, we discredit the name of Jesus that we said we were coming in. When you go before God and you use, and you use the name of Jesus, you have access to the creator of the universe because Jesus gave you permission. Because of what Jesus did, he gives you the right to speak to the God that you otherwise really don't deserve to speak to. And suddenly you realize that using the name of Jesus is a massive responsibility and a huge privilege. I have the privilege to enter into the throne of grace, to walk before God himself because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus did. Therefore, this is not a key that unlocks a lock that gets me what I want. I come in honoring Jesus who gave me access to the Father. And here's what happens. We pray, and sometimes God does a miracle. And we pray, 
And sometimes it doesn't go like we want. And the tragedy is at that point, so many people walk away from God because God didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it. God didn't do what they thought he should do. And here's what you need to know. This is what I believe, okay? Today, when I pray, I believe that God can heal. Today, when I pray, I believe that God will heal. But if he doesn't, I still believe. I still believe. I believe he can and I believe that he will, but even if he doesn't, I still believe. Why? Because my faith in God does not rest on what he does or doesn't do for me. My faith in God rests on what he has done for me on the cross, sending Jesus, delivering me an empty tomb. It's already settled. It's already settled where I stand with God. It's already settled with him proving himself to me. So I don't need to waver because I already have proof. I've already seen it in action. And if prayer is only ever going to be a tool for me to get what I want, then it's an insult to our God to pray. If prayer is only that thing that lets me acquire, then I'm not acquiring the God behind it because I'm driven by a selfishness. Imagine if I only ever went to my earthly father and said, Dad, give me this. Dad, give me this. Dad, give me this. And you Dads, you already know that you've already heard this, right? Dad, give me this. Dad, give me this. Dad, give me this. In the name of Clinton, in the Clinton name, give this to me. Well, what does that do? That makes my dad my servant. And God is not my servant. I am his. I am not the main character in Scripture. God is the main character in Scripture. If he doesn't do what I want him to do, that doesn't lessen who he is. It doesn't wreck my faith because my faith is not based on him doing what I demand him to do. My faith is based on his love when he sent Jesus to give his life for me. And suddenly, suddenly that changes everything about the way I can see it. If I have anything I ask in his name, it will be done unto me. Why? So that my Father in heaven may be glorified. It's more about him. Prayer isn't just for me to get my wish list accomplished by God. Prayer is the avenue through which I get to know God and give him glory. It's not just getting him to do what I want him to do. I'm getting to know him. And as I get to know him, I am being changed by his presence as it transforms me. It's me learning to not be conformed to the world that's around me. It's me allowing myself to be transformed through his presence by the renewing of my mind. It's me learning to live intentionally in the kingdom of God and having my eyes up. So yes, he missed the jump. Eight out of ten times he could have made that jump. And he missed that one stinking, lousy jump at a moment that was so critical 
and his turnmates, his teammates didn't turn. They didn't trust in Jesus. They didn't start going to church. Not that it really probably would have made any difference anyways. People agree to things all the time that they don't follow through on. But through social media, one of those old teammates reached out and said, we all thought that whole Jesus thing that you got into was just was like a hoax. It was a phase. We thought you would grow out of it. We thought it would pass. Obviously, it hasn't passed. And then he went on to say, I'm hurting right now. Things have gone wrong. I don't know what to do. I have no idea what I should do, so I'm going to start to listen to the podcasts at your church. Pray for me. I might just need that Jesus you told me about. 28 years later, God may answer the prayer that a young, high-jumping tennis player prayed. He may answer it in a way that no one expected, in a way that brings him the glory. The purpose of God answering my prayers isn't so I get what I want, a better life, my best life today. The reason I pray is not to get him to do what I want, but it's to submit my will to what he wants. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And with that understanding, I hope that your faith is built. I hope that you pray for big things. I hope you believe God can. I hope you trust that God will. But even if he doesn't, keep believing. Because your faith does not rest on God doing what you told him to do. Your faith rests on the goodness of God, the love of God, on the empty tomb of Jesus. And that Jesus died so that we could live. And he rose again. And for that reason, we put our faith in him. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would do a healing work in so many people's lives. Especially, God, for those who, have, who have feel like they've been let down. They're disappointed. Or they're hurt. They're disillusioned. God, for those who are still praying for something significant today, we ask, God, that you would do miracles in ways that only you can, and you make sure that you take the full credit for the whole story. Continue to work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. And now, be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, the better it gets. As you go, don't depart. Go sent. I send you as the church of Jesus Christ to go out and bring the life, the kingdom of God to those who around you. Be reminded that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered. And we are mission-focused. And that mission is for everyone everywhere, all the time.